All right, let's go ahead and open up our Bibles, if you have them, to Proverbs 24. If you don't have a Bible or are not going to use it on your device, you can use a Blue Pew Bible. And you can find that on page 538. The plan for wise planning. How can we plan well? Both in the small day-to-day ways of how we plan and prioritize, but especially in the big life-shaping decisions that we plan out in our lives. Um, recall from earlier this summer that Proverbs is written primarily to rising leaders within the nation of Israel. And it was written for the purpose of instructing them to continue in covenant faithfulness. We want you to continue in faithfulness, grow in faithfulness. And the key word all over the book of Proverbs as to how that can happen is wisdom. Proverbs is a book of wisdom. And what's especially unique and powerful about it is that it simultaneously has meaning for your eternal life and for your daily life, right? In this way, Proverbs is a microcosm of the entire Bible, right? The Bible is not a rule book. The Bible is not a guideline to a successful life or a map to a successful life. The Bible primarily tells a story, and it tells a story of how God is redeeming and restoring all of creation through his son, Jesus Christ. And wisdom begins with hearing, seeing, and locating our story within his greater story, so, so Paul, in writing to Timothy in the book of 2 Timothy, which was likely the final letter he wrote from prison before being killed in Rome, he writes this in 2 Timothy chapter 3. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from who you learned it and how from childhood you've been acquainted with the sacred writings, which, look, are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. The primary aim of the Bible is to reveal God's plan and his story to make us wise for salvation. That's his goal, primary goal, to make you wise for salvation. So Proverbs teaching on wisdom primarily first leads you to a person, and his name is Jesus. And then it leads you to a way to live your life. And and that's the key to all of Proverbs. If you miss that point, that it first leads you to Jesus and then to how to live a wise life, you're going to miss it. You're going to miss all of it. It'll be pointless to you. It's not a rule book. It's a story about Jesus that leads you into wisdom. Because once we are made new in Christ by faith, we then grow in this wisdom and how to navigate your life in this world as new creations. And you know why that's important? Because there's a whole lot of decisions you have to make and a whole lot of plans that you do make that the Bible won't tell you exactly what you have to do. The Bible won't tell you if you need to leave that job or to stick it out a little bit longer. The Bible won't tell you who you're supposed to date or if you're supposed to marry the person that you're dating or whether to get married at all. The Bible doesn't tell you what school you should go to or apply to, whether your kids should be in public school, private school, or home school this fall. There's not a verse for which investments you should be making how much you should offer on a house, if you should move to this state or move out of that town. The Bible won't tell you that. But it does teach us how to be wise. It does provide a framework for how we should approach these decisions, these plans that we make and how we think about life. And above all, knowing that wisdom is the most important thing in life is not where you go or who you're with or what you're doing, but the kind of person you're becoming in the midst of it all. That's Proverbs. And so as we turn to our passage this morning, Proverbs is for salvation in Christ, and Proverbs is for wise planning in your life. What is your plan to plan well in this life? Do you have one? Uh, The reality is we plan every single day, every one of us. Um, Some of you, though, would say, I am a planner. 
right? If you were just to, like, if I were to say, raise your hand if you're a planner, right? Some of you would raise your hand, right? Hashtag always planning, all right? Like that just marks your life. You have a plan for your life. You have a plan for your family's life. You have a plan for this church, all right? You have a plan for your neighbor who just moved in down the street. They just don't know it yet, all right? You got a plan for everyone. So how can we orient the way we plan in such a way that anchors us in God's story, not only for our lives, but for the lives of those we can impact, like, can we be honest, if there was an answer to that question, wouldn't you want to know it? Like, how can we orient the way we plan in such a way that anchors us in God's story, but also in the lives of other people that we can impact? I think because of Proverbs, it's not an unanswerable question. And so here we are, August 13th, lazy Sunday, summer day, but it's a good day to be at church. Because we're going to hear about a plan for wise planning. And we're going to start in Proverbs 24, verses 3 through 7, which might not seem like a passage I'm planning at first glance, but hang with me. We're going to read verses 3 through 7. By wisdom a house is built, and by understanding it is established. By knowledge the rooms are filled with all precious and pleasant riches. A wise man is full of strength, and a man of knowledge enhances his might. For by wise guidance you can wage your war, and in abundance of counselors there is victory. Verse 7, wisdom is too high for a fool. In the gate, he does not open his mouth. All right, this morning, um, I'm not going to be telling you what plans you need to be making in your life. But hopefully, we're going to see something far more impactful. I want us to see, out of Proverbs, how to think about planning. To show a framework with some different building blocks for wise planning that's distinct from any self-help book you can pick up, any TED talk you can see, any YouTube short video you can watch, or any TikTok reel you can experience. It's going to come from Scripture, starting with the first building block. Number one, God is the ultimate planner. This might seem counterintuitive, but the first thing to know about planning well is that you're not the top planner, and you never will be. Verse 3, by wisdom a house is built. Knowing that, as we just talked about, the message from Proverbs is that wisdom is first a person before it's a way of living. Here's the thing you could do, an exercise you can do as you read Proverbs. Every time you see the word wisdom in Proverbs, substitute it for the word Jesus Christ. By Jesus Christ a house is built. And some of you might know this literally or figuratively, but building a house, it takes planning. As does building or cultivating anything in your life, building a family, a workout routine, a business model, a new ministry. I ask you this morning, mid-August 2023, what are you currently building in your life? Are you building anything? What do you want to begin building? It's going to require a plan to see it built. And building block number one, God is the ultimate planner. I think this point is as clear as any in Proverbs when it comes to planning. Uh, Proverbs 16.9, all these cross-references in the book will be on the screen. The heart of man plans his way, comma, but the Lord establishes his steps. God is the ultimate planner in your life. And if we miss this, or even if you kind of casually acknowledge it, you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, yeah, God is in control, God's in planning, but you don't fully embrace that like you don't fully embrace that he's the ultimate planner, then you're going to travel really fast in the wrong direction. Like you can be motivated to plan well, but without a robust trust in God as sovereign, you'll be lost, right? Isn't it true that it doesn't matter how fast you're going if you're going in the wrong direction? 
And so this foundational point puts you in the deep end of doctrine pretty quickly. Like, this God is sovereign, puts you in the deep end. It's not that it's difficult to understand, hear me, but it can be difficult to accept. That God is in control of all things. Because here's the thing, our natural bent, we we want to believe in free will. Right? That I have the freedom and the will to do what I want. I make my own decisions. I control my life. And if God is the ultimate planner, if God is sovereign, where does that leave me? Where does that leave us? Well, for starters, I'm not just saying this to be dramatic. Um, We need to know there's no such thing as absolute free will. It doesn't exist. Uh, For one, our will is constrained by our nature. Okay, I'm not free to go to the uh, roof of this building and to jump off it and fly. Uh, I'm not free to swim underwater for an entire day without any oxygen. Why? Because it goes against my nature. I don't have absolute freedom to do what I want. So that's true, and I think everybody could agree on that. But secondly, the Bible says that God can override my will whenever he desires because he is God. It's clear all throughout the Bible. Not difficult to understand, but can be difficult to accept. Uh, Proverbs 21, verse 1. The king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he will. This, this, this sovereign power uh, does not cancel out our responsibility, though. This is the key point. The Bible says that while we don't have an absolute freedom of a will, we do have a freedom of choice. We don't have freedom of the will, but we do have a freedom of choice. And we will be held responsible for the choices we make. First and foremost, our choice to either reject Jesus and the gift that he offers us, or to repent of our sin and place our faith in Jesus as our Lord and Savior. We will be held responsible for that choice. And then we make choices every single day that we are responsible for. And we're free to make those choices. But those choices are all under the sovereign power of God. Okay, so that's a, that's a pretty, I just took five minutes to go through a really major theological truth. That God is sovereign and we will be held responsible. And it's seen all throughout the Bible, but it, it applies directly to how we think about planning. If God is the ultimate planner and we should take great care in how we choose to plan, both are true. You don't have to choose. Ultimate planner, we got to really think about the way we plan. Uh, look at Proverbs 27 verse 1 on the screen. It says, do not boast about tomorrow, for you do not know what a day may bring. Do not boast about tomorrow. Why? Because God's the ultimate planner, and you don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. But, look at me, it doesn't say do not plan for tomorrow, because we have to. Rather, it says do not boast about tomorrow. Now, with all theological truth, one of the things we try to emphasize at Grace, this is not just for our minds. This is not just for a Sunday morning lecture that you can kind of nod at. This is to shape our hearts. All theology is meant to shape your heart, especially when it comes to planning. That when you grasp that truth, we are freed from the paralyzing fear that planning can bring. I asked earlier how many of you would consider yourself planners, right? Hashtag always planning. There's others of you I know that get paralyzed by planning. There's such a deep fear of failure and the shame that can come with making the wrong decisions in those plans, of making plans that maybe we'll never see the light of day. 
Because this truth means that your plans, hear me, can never improve God's plan. And your plans can never ruin God's plan. Because he is the ultimate planner. So this releases you from the fear of planning. But it also keeps you thinking too highly of yourself in your planning. Of the self-idolatry that your plans can make. That I always make the best plans. And look, I make these plans and they just work all the time. And I just make those plans and they work there. In my family, in my job, everywhere I go, my plans work. It keeps you humbled in that. Because that's happening. Why? First and foremost, because of God, not you. And you can be grateful for the planning. But don't boast about it. But above all, when this truth is drilled into your heart that God's the ultimate planner, it will make you prayerful in your planning. To depend on God to align your planning with his plans. To pray, to ask, to do your labor in the Lord. Lord, I want to hunger to make my plans that are in alignment with your plans. Uh, Tim Keller has this great quote in his book on prayer. Uh, He wrote this. He says, when we pray, quote, God will either give us what we ask for or give us what we would have asked for if we knew everything he knows. Let that one sit a little bit. God is the ultimate planner. And rightly understood, not only in your mind, but drilled into your heart, it won't limit your planning. It will fuel your desire to plan and then to carry them out. That's number one, God's the ultimate planner. Let's keep going. Building block number two out of the book of Proverbs. We plan as participants in God's story. We plan as participants in God's story. When you have this anchor of God's sovereignty, the pressure's off you. Do you understand that? I want you to see it. That you are free to see your plans as a participant in God's plan. And it humbles you and it empowers you. This is what is so unique about the gospel. It's what you won't get anywhere else when it comes to planning. That the gospel humbles you because you're not the ultimate planner. But it empowers you because the pressure's off that you can plan whatever you want. As long as you see yourself as a participant in God's story. Uh, Back to Proverbs 24. Look again at verse 4. If your Bibles are still open. He says, By knowledge the rooms are filled with all precious and pleasant riches. A wise man is full of strength, and a man of knowledge enhances his might. Uh, One of the things that we talk about often at Grace Church, and I yearn for you to see, but not only see, but to experience this reality, that for the people of God, there is no such thing as a mundane day in the kingdom of God. That even what you might consider your ordinary days, just a Tuesday afternoon, are empowered by an extraordinary God who invites you each day to play a part in the story that he's writing across history. He's inviting you to play a part. And you don't need to be famous or important in the world's eyes to be impactful in God's eyes in the kingdom of God. Uh, There's a professor at the University of Pennsylvania, a psychology professor. Her name is Angela Duckworth. She tells this parable, simple parable that illustrates this, and maybe you've seen this before. It'll be on the screen. She says, three bricklayers are asked, hey, what are you doing? The first says, I'm laying brick. The second says, I'm building a church. The third says, I'm building the house of God. The first bricklayer has a job. The second has a career. The third has a calling. You can apply that illustration to anything in context in your life where God has you right now making plans. Um, I, I think about the amount of babies that have been born of grace over the last two years, how full that nursery hallway is. Complete chaos, all right? You walk into any of those rooms right now, and you ask one of the volunteers, 20 men and women throughout Grace Church who volunteer down there every single week, and you ask them, hey, what are you doing right now? 
One could say, I'm playing with kids. Second could say, I'm doing childcare for the service. The third could say, I'm making disciples of the next generation. One's doing a task. The second's doing a job. The third has a calling. If this afternoon you went home and you pulled out your calendar or your to-do list, you need to know whatever tools you might use for that. Those don't just represent tasks. Those don't just represent things you have to do or places you have to be or jobs you have to carry out. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, those are signposts to your calling. Those are your plans as a participant in the kingdom of God. All right, so here's a little insight into Rochelle and I's marriage, all right? There are times in every marriage where you reach a stalemate, all right? Gridlock. We've reached an impasse. And for Rochelle and I, after 11 years of marriage, I am purely a digital calendar person. Rochelle is purely a paper calendar person. And we have tried. There's no changing either of us. And so, um, fairly often, this is the source of problems in our marriage, where one of us reminds the other of something we have to do or somewhere we have to be. And the other person said, I had no idea about that. I didn't know about that. And I was like, well, it was on the calendar. Well, it wasn't on my calendar. All right, so we've got to work through that. You know, just pray that God would change your heart, you know. Uh, <laughs> actually, no, don't pray for that. That's, yeah, we got other things you can pray for, probably. But your calendar and your to-do lists, whatever form you have, hold a lot of your plans. And we could probably see your plans and what you care most about if we looked at those two things right now. And they remind us that they are windows into how you're carrying out your purpose. To lean into your calling, to plan well, and make time to plan well. Taking time to plan is not wasted time. On the other hand, a failure to plan is a surefire way to waste your life. Proverbs, you know, talks a lot about the sluggard. The, the word the sluggard is all throughout the book of Proverbs. The lazy person. And it warns against it. But you know, there's two kinds of laziness. There's one who doesn't like to work that we often think about. But then there's a second who works hard, but just going the wrong direction. And Proverbs talks about both. Proverbs 20, verse 4. The sluggard does not plow in the autumn. He will seek at harvest and have nothing. Proverbs 21, verse 2. Every way of a man is right in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the heart. You see, laziness is not just a failure to plan, but it's also planning hard to make much of yourself without any regard for how your plans are participating in God's plan. That's lazy. Uh, going outside of Proverbs here to Psalm 127, verse 1 which really works well with Proverbs 24, says this, Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Vain. Wasted. So how can we make this tangible in our lives? How can we take this from just ethereal truth to really drill down into our lives? Let, let, me, let me ask just a series of questions that you can think about, evaluate, maybe discuss with a spouse, a friend at some point this week. Do I see my planning as an aspect of stewardship? Do I see my planning as an aspect of stewardship? And, and thinking about it in terms of concentric circles, right? Thinking about individual, thinking about your family, your extended family, your friendships, your church, your work and team, your company, your community, and you just keep going, drawing out concentric circles. How do you prioritize plan and planning and prayerful planning? Do you see it as an aspect of the steward in your life?
Another question. How does your planning participate in God's purpose for your life to love him and love your neighbor as yourself? How does your planning participate in God's purpose for your life to love him and to love your neighbor as yourself? Uh, Do you get energized by seeing that God will empower you to plan in such a way that will help other people flourish? Not just yourself, not make it much of yourself, but your plans can help other people flourish, especially the least of these. Failing to plan well is a failure to love well, as God called you to. Another question. Where am I seeing how my faith pushes the limits on what I'm willing to plan? How does your faith push the limits on what you're willing to plan? Do I allow myself to have the courage to make big plans for the glory of God? Or out of fear, do I make sure my plans stay small? And fear holds me back. Before we move on to the next point, I was just thinking about this this morning. Let me say this. I think a key to being able to plan in this way, faith-based planning, is to rekindle a sense of awe in your life. Last question for this section. When was the last time you were wowed by God? For real. When was the last time God wowed you? Maybe even in the stillness of a moment or in a place where the truth of the gospel and the presence of God just kindles a sense of awe in you. You know, I think by and large in our modern day, in our technological age, we have lost the art of being awed. We've lost the art of imagination. I'm not talking about imagination in terms of made-up things, but imagining what could be true in our lives if we really believe the power of God was in us. I think we've lost the sense of awe and it's time to rekindle it. Because when we recapture a sense of awe of God, watch what it does to your plans. All right, we gotta keep going, we gotta go quick. Number three, planning is a team sport. We're getting short on time, so we're gonna move quick here, but this is important. Verse six, Proverbs 24, look down. For by wise guidance, you can wage your war. And in abundance of counselors, there is victory. Okay, the point is simple here, but it's clear. Don't plan alone. The people of God plan in community. No person here is an island or should be. Because your plans never just affect you. Right? There is collateral benefit or collateral damage to your planning. So if our plans will affect others, then we ought to include others in our planning. If our plans are going to affect others, we ought to include others in our planning. You know, outside the book of Proverbs, probably the one, one of the most well-known verses about planning, you all know it in the Bible, is Jeremiah 29, 11. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare, not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. It's a great verse. And the fact that this verse is one of the most quoted And popular verses of the Bible shows how much we care about our plans. But take note, that you in Jeremiah 29, 11, that's a plural you, not a singular you. That is a promise spoken to the entire nation of Israel, not to an individual. In fact, it's to a nation that's about to go to exile for 70 years. So, when it comes to planning, we need to think less me and more we. What is God's plan for us? 
And so a practical application of this is getting into the habit of asking others, hey, what do you think about this? How often do you ask that question? Hey, hey, what, what, do, you, what do you think about this? Can I ask you to speak into this situation, even if it's personal in nature? Should I date this person, marry this person, choose this major in college, take that job, leave that job, join that church, take on this responsibility? I've been thinking about this. What do you think about it? It's yet another reason, as you live a life of pursuing Christ, back to Pastor Ben's announcement of growing in community, to be deeply connected with a faith community in a local church, where you are actually known by others, not just the surface, but like really known, and where you actually know others to the point where others entrust you enough to ask you that question. That's another good question. How many, people, how many times do people ask you, what do you think about this? Because if they see you care about them, they'll ask you. And vice versa. While planning an abundance of counselors, there is victory. Okay, last point, number four. Last building block. We plan with eternity in mind. Verse seven. Wisdom is too high for a fool. In the gate he does not open his mouth. Uh, This is ancient Hebrew way of saying what we say in our language. It went over his head. Just went right over her head. Missed it. They don't get the point. Uh, In the ancient world, a lot of business and legal decisions were made at the city gate. So in this case, the fool gets to the city gate and doesn't even open his mouth. Has nothing to contribute to discussion. Nothing there. Because there's no wise plans that participates in God's story made by the fool. The fool lives a wasted life. The fool gets to the end of their life and they have nothing to show for it. No plans. No actions. Nothing. And so we finish as we began that there is no such thing as wise, purposeful planning that will have an actual, lasting, eternal impact and have eternal value without the person and work of Jesus Christ, the wisdom of God. It can't happen. If it does not start there, then it goes nowhere. Proverbs 3, verses 5 and 6, another pretty famous passage. But look at the order of things here. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Start there. And do not lean in your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him. Look, and he will make straight your paths. Friends, you can't plan your way to God. You can plan your way to everything else in this world, but you can't plan your way to God. And the good news is, you don't need to. Because he came to you first. He came to you in the person and work of his son, Jesus Christ. And when he transforms your heart and then directs your plans and your paths in alignment with the story that he is writing. He invites you to participate in it with eternity in mind. Because you see, God had a plan for his fallen creation. And it was to send his one and only son, Jesus, to take on flesh and be born in a manger, to become one of us, so that he could stand in our place and die for us. And to raise him from the dead and declare victory over that sin and death for whoever would put their faith and trust in him. God had a plan, you see. And his plan worked. And so the key to planning is not figuring out what you need to do or if your plans work. 
but to fixing your mind and heart first on what God has done and then making your plans in him. Proverbs 16.3, commit your work to the Lord and your plans will be established. So I asked the question at the beginning, what's the plan for wise planning? Here's the plan, all right? If you, have, if you take notes or if you're good at memorizing, I'll tell you this, I tried to make this into an acronym and I couldn't do it. Tried a lot for a lot longer than I'd like to admit, all right? But here's the plan for wise planning. Five steps. Number one, allocate. Allocate. Time to plan. It won't just happen. There has to be an intentionality to it. It's an aspect of you loving God and loving other people, especially the least of these. Allocate time to plan. Number two, pray. Pray before your planning, during your planning, after your planning. Pray to align your will with his, to see how your plans participate in God's story. Ask him, ask him. Pray. That's number two. Number three, collaborate with others in your planning. Never plan alone. Number four, activate. This one's key because for maybe many of you, the problem's not planning, but it's not having the courage to carry them out. If not getting started on their plans. You're free to carry out your plans, to activate them, knowing that your value, hear me, your value is not contingent on whether or not your plans work. The pressure's off when you're a child of God. So take the next step. There's always a next step for your plan. Take the next step. And then lastly, entrust. Entrust your plans to God because God is the ultimate planner. And in his love for us in Christ, when that creates your wise plans moment by moment, you can look up to him by faith. You can see his love for you right now. You can understand that his plan for you worked and receive it. And then whatever your next step in obedience might be, you will have the boldness to take that step. And maybe you've been putting off that step for a long time. There's been plans that put it on the shelf for a long time. You know what? It's time to take them back down. And take the next step. And you will be able to take it. And you will be able to plan and plan wisely and activate them and carry them out to the praise of the glory of his grace. Let's pray. Father, we are so grateful for your word. We are so grateful for the fact that it makes us wise for salvation, first and foremost, that leads us to think about your son, Jesus. To think about how he carried out your plan to perfection, to redeem and restore our souls. And Lord, we are grateful that your word gives us practical application. It's for our lives every single day. Father, give us the grace and the mercy to see our planning in light of your story that you were writing. Father, let us say and pray truly that we yearn for your will to be done. Use us, Lord, as you see fit to accomplish your will. Let it be for your glory. Let it be for the good of this world. And let it shine a light into the darkness. It's in your name we pray. Amen.